Your Bibles, please, for our first reading to Deuteronomy, sorry, that's the second reading, Psalm 31. Psalm 31, the first one. Psalm 31, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid Privily for me, for thou art my strength. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities. And hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed." I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side while they took counsel together against me. They devised to take away my life. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Well, There it is. Thank you. Just lost my place. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. O how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them, that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou 
heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. All right, so we begin. I have uh, the first section in, uh, as verses 1 through 8. First of all, we'll recognize the psalm title. We, we know what this means by now, but we mention it every time to drive that point home because the Bible says it every time, right? Or every time it says it anyway. So we have uh, to the chief musician. This tells us that David penned this psalm to be delivered to a man named either Jejuthun or Kenaniah. There were two men that occupied that chief musician's slot while David was alive. And these psalms were written for public worship, to be used in the worship of the assembly of God's people. All right. So David begins then with a statement of trust, yet it is obvious from the subsequent context that David is in trouble, and this is a cry for trouble, or a a, a cry to God while he is in trouble. So a cry to God while he is in trouble for David begins with an affirmation of his trust in the Lord. Now, there are times we don't have that. There are times where we are in such a strait, like, say, Peter on the water. Lord, save me. He sends up a, you know, what some have called an arrow prayer, right? A, uh, an, uh, a, an expression, uh, an urgent expression. But there are other times of greater thoughtfulness, and we want those times of greater thoughtfulness in our prayers. So David, even though in times of trouble, his trouble is not so consuming to him that he just blurts out, I'm in trouble. He begins with, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed, and then deliver me in thy righteousness. Well, that third phrase there, deliver me in thy righteousness, that is assumed in those first two phrases, isn't it? It's assumed. In thee, O Lord, I put my trust. Well, the Lord is trustworthy. He is someone that we can call upon. He is someone that we can put our confidence in. And we have that confidence in him because he is upright. He doesn't say and do not. He makes promises and he keeps them. This is what his name Jehovah means, and that's the name that David uses here. In thee, O Jehovah, do I put my trust. And that means that he he is recognizing God as the covenant-keeping, promise-honoring God. That's who Jehovah is. All right, so then he asks for a hearing. Although he has confidence in the Lord, yet he's humble. This is a humble prayer. Bow down thine ear to me and deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Verses 2 and 3 then establish David's standing. His standing is that he stands upon that rock that Jesus will speak about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Right? If any man hear these words of mine and do them, 
He'll be like the one whose house is founded on a rock. If anyone hears these sayings of mine and don't do them, well, he's building his house on sand. So David expresses his faith in the Lord here, that he will do all that God has commanded him, that he has a, he has a mind to that, that it is only in that that he is kept from sliding. The Lord is his rock. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of, of the Lord our God, right? Well, you know, these are easy words. They come off of our lips rather easily. But in times of trouble and in times of distress, beloved, let me ask you, what are you found doing? At such times as that, are you found flailing in every other means except calling upon the Lord? Is that the last on the list or the first on the list? Is it three sections down after you have exhausted all earthly means and still not received any relief? Or is calling upon the Lord the first salvo and all other means dependent upon him and calling upon his name? This was David's pattern. And may I say that even just from a practical matter, even just from your own self-interest, course it's much beyond that but even according to your own self-interest David had more troubles than you and I probably ever will I've never had anyone chasing me down with a sword to kill me have you probably not okay if I was put to that extremity my prayer would be my hope would be that I would be found like David here with God at the top of the list him found as my rock, and then all other earthly means of staying on one side of the mountain while Saul's on the other side of the mountain, and so on, made use of uh, in faith, according to faith, always with the confession that God is our rock. Very often the Lord sends such afflictions and troubles to expose our own hearts and really what they're about. And, beloved, if we're honest... Sometimes we're going to say that what we find out in such times of exposure are not what we wished we would find out. But there is forgiveness with God, even at such times. And we can learn, can't we? We can, can I put it in the context of the first sermon? We can grow in learning how to handle affliction such that we come to the Lord first and foremost and all other means under Him and by faith. All right, so uh, verses 2 and 3 then, talking about God is our rock. Verse 4 then, pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. Not, just give me a little bit of help and I can get out myself. No, pull me out, thou art my strength. And so we notice how far David goes down that road of understanding the strength of the Lord as compared to his strength, the strength that he has to deliver himself and to whom he must go for that deliverance. Then we have these words that are put into the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. Into thy hands, into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. As I look at that verse, I think there's probably about five sermons there. It is, it is a, a, a verse that is chocked full of wondrous Christian truth. The first is, notice, into thy hand I commit my spirit. Okay, so 
David recognizes that it is in God that he finds his safety. Our Lord Jesus did the same thing. Where did he rest his spirit at the end of his earthly life? Well, those words were put in his mouth. We recognize that. Beloved, when we come to the end of our lives, are we able to say that? We want to finish well and we want to do the things in this life that make for the perseverance of the saints so that when we come to that day, whenever it is, and may I say that we often live presumptuously without realizing that that day could be today, we want to be able to say at every moment then, into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me. There's a confident assurance then of the redemption of God, the redemption of Christ that David enjoys. Thou hast redeemed me. Not thou wilt redeem me. Thou hast redeemed me. And then notice this. O Lord God of truth. Now we want to say a couple of things about that phrase. Lord God of truth. Some have, uh, have interpreted this, say, philosophically. Lord God of truth. That God is the God of truth. That God is truth itself. That's how we say it in our confession, isn't it? That we say God is truth itself. Right? That whatever God says and does is true because his voice, his mind, his action, it is determinative of what is true. Determinative of what is reality. Whatever is real out there is what God has said and done. Everything else is illusory, a lie, vain, empty. Right? So in that sense, philosophically, it is true that God is the God of truth. But I don't think that's what David's saying here. While that's a, well, that's a good application of the phrase, Lord God of truth, it's not really what David is saying. The interpretation of what David is saying is, Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. That is, Thou hast said that I am redeemed by Thee. And so, that is a settled fact among me. Or that is the settled fact among us, among the people of God, that we know it's a settled fact God has redeemed us. Thou art true. It is impossible for the Lord to say something and it not be true because what he says comes to pass because he says it. It is the power of his person and word that brings to pass. And so when God makes a promise, I will redeem you. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. When thou passest through the fire, they shall not hurt thee. Beloved, that is amen. That is true. And that's the word that David uses here. Lord God of Amunah, truth, the great amen. Well, there is philosophical overtone there, isn't there? There's no other truth outside of God. There's nothing else that's out there. Uh, God is completely trustworthy because of the power of his person. What he says and does is creative of reality. He is the only true being that there is. Everything else is contingent upon him. Philosophically, that's all true. But if we leave it at the philosophy, beloved, we've left off a most precious saving truth, which is what? God said it, and I'm resting on it. It can't be changed. Thou hast redeemed me. Don't doubt him. Don't doubt him. Okay, so that's verse 5. Well then, if we love the Lord, beloved, and I pray that we do, then there's going to be a hatred that is a necessary concomitant to the love that we have toward the Lord. 
Notice what he says. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. This is simply a repetition with a corollary to what he just said. The repetition is what? I have trusted in the Lord. The corollary to that is, I have hated them that regard lying vanities. And now we see the great contrast. We see the amunah, the great amen, contrasted with the lying vanity. What is the lying vanity? The empty lie that professes to be able to help you, to save you, and to deliver you. Beloved, there are only two in the categories. There are only two categories. There's the great amen on the one hand, and then fill up this basket with every other thing that tells you that they can deliver you, save you, comfort you, heal you. Fill it up, whatever you want to say. They cannot. They are lying vanities, empty, empty things that have no power to say. They say and do not. They promise and cannot fulfill. And so the right posture then is to hate those lying vanities. And by hatred here, I think David means practically that he will stay as far from them as he can. He will run from those lying vanities. All right, so then in verses 7 and 8, I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble, thou hast known my soul in adversity. Notice the depth there, thou hast known my soul in adversity, and the word know there. We understand that the word know in Scripture, K-N-O-W, not N-O, but K-N-O-W, often means the intimacy of a marriage, right? So the Lord has condescended to know us even in our adversities. Have you ever, uh, have you ever known someone that is um, like, like an Eeyore? You know what I mean by Eeyore? Some of you know, some of you are like, what are you talking about? Eeyore is the donkey in the Winnie the Pooh cartoon. And Eeyore is known for being an Eeyore. And what does Eeyore do? He walks around complaining all the time. Nothing makes Eeyore happy. Everything depresses Eeyore over and over again. Right? And so notice that Eeyore presents himself as being always under adversity. Always under some stricture or other. Always under some affliction or another. Is it fun to hang out with an Eeyore? What does David say? Thou hast known my soul in adversity. The Lord has condescended to know us even in our worst. Even in the depths of our worst, the Lord knows us. Right? This is the love and condescension of God. All right, so we move on then. Got to hustle a little bit here. Uh, He asks for mercy. He reiterates his trouble. My life is spent with grief. My years with sigh. My strength faileth. But notice that David brings home all of this to himself. Because of mine iniquity. And my bones are consumed. So David will go on to talk about the reproach of his enemies. And so on. That he's been forgotten like a dead man out of mind, like a broken vessel. I've heard the slander of many, fear on every side. They devised a way to take my life. But David has already said that all of this bad consequence, all of this evil providence comes upon him for his own sin. Let that sink in a second. 
That's not normally where we are, is it? Certainly we can find in adversity seven or eight ways to take the blame off of ourselves and put it on some other thing. Some person, some providence, some movement of the worlds, or whatever it is. Anywhere but here. But what does David say? My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. Well, this, this is helpful. Why is it helpful? Because if it is here that we're left with, then we can rightly bring verse 14 to play. But I have trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me and make thy face to shine upon thy servant and save me, notice, for thy mercy's sake. And so what we have here in David is that his deliverance is all of grace and that his difficulty is all of his sin. And that even in the midst of that sin, that he can come to God with confession and with a plea toward God for mercy and he can expect deliverance, not based on the fact that he's changed his behavior, but based on the fact that God is merciful. All right, so once again, we have an imprecation in verse 18. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Then we have in verses 19 and 20, once again, the statement of God's wonderful deliverance of his people. How great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. And beloved, let us reiterate what verse 19 says, theologically speaking, that we can fear God and yet not be a perfect people. You hear that? We can fear God and yet not be a perfect people. There are no perfect people. Everything we do is tainted with sin. Even our fear of the Lord is tainted with imperfection. Yet, there is a true fearing of the Lord, even though we are indeed uh, fraught with with uh, imperfection. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Well, this is not to say that that the Lord will remove you from all difficulty, but that he will keep you in all difficulty. And this is what Jesus prays for in John 17. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. Right? So, beloved, uh, the health and wealth guys are wrong. They have said that when you come to the Lord, uh, that it, you know, they, they're bringing people into the church on the raft of, uh, you know, w- once you confess Christ, it's, it's all roses. You, you, just, you just start speaking to your wallet and it'll be full. Right? That's what they say. Start speaking to your body and you won't be sick anymore. Yeah. May I say, I don't expect any of those folks to live to 140. Right? Okay. For I said in my haste, notice, it is hasty to say, I am cut off from before thine eyes. It is hasty to say, like we said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about thinking hard thoughts of God. It is hasty for us to think, I am forgotten of thee. I'm cast out from thine eyes. 
No, that's sinful haste, beloved. David recognizes it in himself. We should recognize it in ourselves as well. It's never going to get better. It's always going to be like this. This is my cross that I have to bear my whole life. We heard about that earlier when we talked about growth in grace. Growth in knowledge. It's not that way. I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. When David looked to heaven and he said, I'm cut off before thine eyes. God said, I hear you, David. I hear what you're saying. I know you feel that way, but it's not true. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. Well, after all that David has said here in Psalm 31, this is the icing on the cake. He turns to the people of God as a good prophet of the Lord. And what does he say? Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. There is justice with him. You don't need to fret about that. He will bring that to pass in his due time. He will reward that proud doer. Don't worry about him. Love the Lord. Worry about that. Think about that. Put your effort in that. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Well, that's how the psalm ends. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.